Thanks for checking out this video. My name's Kiara, and I hope you enjoy this message from Redemption Church. Good morning. Thanks for joining us this weekend. Again, my name is Stephen. I'm glad you're here. And this morning is a standalone talk, uh, which means it's not connected to any other series. Next week, we'll launch our new series, The Church. It's a four-week series. I'm excited to, to go through that. But it is fitting that we spent some time this morning talking about what we're talking about before we launch into that church or that series, The Church. As I indicated in my prayer, this morning we're, we're looking at a physical reality, a real and literal story that shows a picture of a spiritual reality. We see this all the time in the scriptures. There's these physical stories, but what they're really doing, uh, it's not that the physical stories are just metaphor, allegory, or we aren't to take them literally, but what they're really showing us is spiritual reality. And so I wanted this morning to look quickly, very quickly, at the story of Jericho and what we saw in what Leanne read this morning as a segue into the power and the importance of corporate prayer as a church. So this morning we're going to lay out a prayer strategy for us as a body. If you're new around here, great, you get to see what we think about a very important part of the Christian life, prayer. And when I first launched a church a few years ago, I went through this training by an organization called ARP, the Association of Related Churches. They're one of the most prolific church planning organizations in the country. It was founded by a pastor named Chris Hodges, who also leads one of the largest churches in the countries. And the first section of the training was watching eight videos. And video number one was winning the war in the spiritual. Now this was different language than what I was used to in my previous church training. But the first video laid out what was necessary to do before the other seven videos. Now the other seven videos were things like marketing and the legal setup of a church, uh, how to build a team and uh, what your board should look like or elders or staff and all of those types of things, which are absolutely essential and crucial to a healthy church. But video one was winning the war in the spiritual, and it was done by this lead pastor, Chris Hodges, and he told a story about a time early on in his ministry. He was uh, not the lead pastor at the time. He was sent down to South America because there was this church that was really large. And when we think really large in America, we think like five, 10, 15,000. Really large in other parts of the world can be like tens of thousands. And so he goes out to this church in South America. That is massive. And he's asking the guy, how are your life groups so effective? Why are they so good? And the South American pastor looks at Hodges and says, oh, you're asking the wrong question. He goes, yeah, maybe, but I really need to know this because I got sent down here to give an answer to my boss. So how is it that your life groups are so good? And he goes, oh, you're asking the wrong question. And so finally Hodges, in his words, says, I put my pen down and kind of gave him a look like, what do you want to tell me? And the guy goes on to tell the story. He said, our high school students, our youth group, just got off of a 40-day fast. I was in high school once. We did a 30-hour famine. It felt like death. I can't imagine in high school or now a 40-day fast. And then goes on to say the size of his youth group. 40,000 high school students just got done with a 40-day fast. If you're doing the math at home, that's 1.6 million days of hunger. 40,000 students, 40-day 40 fast. Listen, first, first, 
you got to win the war in the spiritual. Now this morning, I'm going to use the word spiritual and I'm going to use the word practical. And when I use the word spiritual, I'm going to be talking about things that we can't see. And when I use the word practical, I'm going to be talking about things that we can see. But even though I'm going to be using that language, we do have to recognize and understand that both of them are really spiritual. It's spiritual to pray and it's spiritual to serve. It's spiritual the work we need to do in the spiritual realm. It's also spiritual the work we need to do in the practical realm. Another way to say it would be the invisible work versus the visible work. But for this morning, we'll use the term spiritual and practical, winning the war in the spiritual. Now, this is a principle that is crucial for the church, but it is also crucial for each of us. It may be the answer to what's wrong in our own lives, our families, a marriage, friendships, relationships, even a business or a movement of ministry that you're trying to do outside of the context of this church. Winning first the war in the spiritual. And so quickly, this morning, I want to lay out what our strategy is. We're going to see it right here in the story in Jericho, and then we're going to hop over into the New Testament to see how uh, the apostles, particularly Paul, leveraged this strategy. So in Joshua chapter 6, verse 2, we see this first. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and its mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all the men of war going around the city once. Thus shall you do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. On the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat. And the people shall go up, everyone straight before him. And so Jericho is this stopping point right now. See, the Israelites have been promised the promised land. And in the promised land is blessing. In the promised land is the fullness of what God had originally called the Israelites to. But stopping then from the promised land is Jericho. In order to get there, they have to go through here first. And so God gives them a strategy on how to win this battle. And what he starts with is not go train for war. He doesn't start with, you need to refine your skills. Your military men need to sit down and they need to develop a better strategy. He doesn't say, here's how I want you to sneak into the wall, or here's how I want you to attack when you attack. What he starts with is a spiritual practice. Now, this is not universal. It doesn't mean that we need to start marching around the movie theater. That's not the point. The point what he's showing here is there has to have something spiritual happen before we go do the practical, which in their case was fighting, military, battle. In our case, it's volunteer teams and life groups and lobbies and marketing and inviting people to church. He says, before you do that, you have to do this first. And so God tells them, Here's the strategy. I want you to march around one time each day for six days. And then on the seventh day, I want you to march around seven times. And on the seventh time, they're going to blow the trumpet's horn. And when they do, I want everyone to yell and scream, shout. And the walls will fall down. How do you know when you're done praying? Because the breakthrough happens. That's how you know when you're done. So, the Israelites, they do it. 
They march around and then they march around the seven times and they yell and they shout and the walls fall down and then they go in and they take the city. And how would they have taken the city? Through military might, through every practical action, using their training, using best strategy, doing what they know how to do because they've been trained for war. They didn't leave their practical um, out and say, okay, and now we'll just float in there and hope that everything happens. No, they still went in and fought. They just did the spiritual first. Okay, so where does this leave us as a church body? Let's make sure we've fully uh, developed or explored the, the metaphor. Jericho is the resistance to God's full promise. The wall represents a spiritual reality stopping God's people from breakthrough. God's strategy for breaking through the wall was spiritual or prayer first, then practically the able-bodied men go and take the city. Now let's compare that to our reality as a church. There is an invisible wall of spiritual opposition that stops all churches and kingdom movements from gaining momentum. God's strategy is for us to pray them down first, not practical our way around them. After we pray them down, we give our full and best practical efforts to gain victory. Or in our case, kingdom growth, salvations, better ministry, more people showing up, whatever it might be. Spiritual, then the practical. Win the war here first so that your tactics over here work properly. So where are we at as a church? I think we're at a place where we have to go back to Jericho for a moment. We have to reevaluate. Have we properly won the war in the spiritual? Hodges that pastor that I mentioned earlier, uh, in, later on in that same video, goes on to tell how this played out in his own church. Now, again, one of the largest churches in the country. And uh, I say that just to simply show you effect. Um, he, now, his church, every Saturday, get this, every Saturday since the day it started, about a third of the church body shows up on Saturday morning for the sole purpose of praying for the next Sunday morning. 20 years into it. And a third is like 6,000 people. One, is you win the war in the spiritual first. First. Some of you, you're stalled. Let me take a, a step aside from the corporate church for a second. You're stalled in your own life, and you've been practicing your way around it for months or years. And you can keep doing that. But there's a spiritual battle that has to be won first. And until it is, your practical efforts will be fruitless. Now we hop over into the New Testament. In the New Testament, Paul, um, he reiterates, or he kind of gives us a, a way of actually going about and doing this. And uh, we've developed a, a little card here, so you all should have got one of these, so you can pull it out as we move along here. And Paul teaches us um, through his letters to the churches on how he prayed. And Jesus was a voracious prayer. Uh, like, not just when he was folding laundry. Like, Jesus prayed. And in fact, like almost before every major initiative in his ministry, prayer is mentioned first. Paul, voracious prayer. The early church, they prayed a lot. They prayed so much that it got late into the night one time that some dude fell asleep and fell out the window and died. Hopefully that doesn't happen here. They raised him from the dead, by the way. They prayed a lot, was my point. Paul writes this. In, uh, we're in 2 Thessalonians. 
which is a letter to the church of Thessalonica. He says, to this end, we, 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 we get French here, we, okay, we pray. See, on your card here, you have this, and as you look at it, uh, I would say that this is a healthy prayer life for the New Covenant Christian, but probably not the prayer life that most of us have. See, most of us probably spend the majority, I would say 90% at least, of our prayer time just as an individual. It's just self. And self-prayer is important. Devotional repentance, gratitude, spending time with Jesus, saying thank you, starting your day like that, letting him pour into you. These are all very important things. But most, or a lot of people's prayer lives, they actually just get stalled there. It's always just self. It's never beyond that. Now, most of the time we look at prayer outside of Jesus. And by the way, Jesus is just a picture of the church, right? Jesus is not a picture of you individually. You can never be Jesus, but we together are to reflect Jesus. And so Jesus is a picture of the church. And when Jesus goes and prays, we don't look at that and say, well, then I'll do what Jesus does. That means I'll do with the church what Jesus did. Which would mean even when Jesus is praying by himself, it's really like the church praying together. We, Paul says, we, in other words, we, it's all of us, it's together. We. To this end, we always pray for you. You. Our first level of prayer here, our next level, according to this passage, is praying for others. Praying for others. And I will add, not just praying for others, but praying with others for others. So in that circle, we have this. We have church family, we have friends, we have family, we have life group, like your particular life group. And it's, uh, it, it's time when you say, okay, we're going to stop right now. We're going to really pray for each other with each other. That's what Paul said. He said, and this said, we never stop praying for you. You. I pray for you. Pray for your families. I hope you pray for my family. But I hope we also can pray together for each other's families. See, when prayer begins to happen, it does three things. First thing it does is it defines reality. See, when we have proper vulnerability in our relationships, what prayer does is it defines reality. Because typically what we pray for is what we're most worried about or what we're most excited about. And so prayer helps define reality. And so when I get to pray with you, I know what your reality is right now in your mind. The second thing prayer does is it develops relationships. Because after I'm done praying with you, there's an intimacy that happens spiritually when you pray with something that just standing next to them and singing or just walking in to church with them doesn't do. After I've prayed with you, there's a form of relationship that is there that is now deeper and tighter. Yeah, the third thing prayer does is it delivers results. Like I said earlier, how do you know when you're done praying? When there's breakthrough. That's how you know you're done. Don't stop until you do. Imagine the Israelites walking around the seventh day and the sixth time, and they're like, this is pointless, I'm out of here. Ah, oh, you were so close. You were a lap and a scream away. Some of you might be a lap and a scream away. Don't stop praying. Don't stop praying. So we pray for others first. Now, here's how we're going to do this. Uh, flip over to the back side of your page, of your, your handout. Uh, the way we're going to be praying for others more effectively uh, is every Sunday after service. And so starting next week, uh, there's going to be a sign right over here. It's going to say prayer. I want to make things obvious. And um, when you're done, when service is over, uh, there's going to be um, a couple people over here, uh, male and female, who are going to be there just to pray with you. 
Because I don't want us just walking out saying, hey, I'll pray for you. I want us to stop and pray with you before you go. And so after every Sunday service, right over there, you can walk down and someone will pray with you. I don't care if the line's as long as like Chick-fil-A on a Saturday. Like, get prayed for before you leave. Here, here's, here's an idea that I want to circulate through our head. You never have to walk out of these doors without having someone properly prayed with you. Ever. Which means that the burden that you were carrying is heavier on the way out than it was on the way in. Then you should have stopped there first before you left. Because prayer will help lift it. Doesn't necessarily change it, but it can lift it. So that's how we're going to do that starting next week. So at the end of every um, service, when I um, lay out the Connect card and I lay out the, um, the giving thing, um, and, and then I say, and if you want to get prayed, uh, eventually it's just going to become part of my language because I can't give a sermon on it every time I do the announcements. But when I say, hey, if you want to go over there uh, and have someone pray with you, then what I want you to hear is, listen, if there's a burden in your heart right now that, that's hurting you, that's holding you back, that's pushing you down, let it be released by the power of your brother and sister in Christ standing with you and praying down the wall. That's what I mean. When I say, hey, if you want someone to pray with you, go ahead. If we do that every week, new people will get weirded out. Okay. Where were we? We were in the Bible. Okay. To this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill, here's our second round, every resolve for good. What a line. May fulfill every resolve for good. When I read that, uh, to me, that is every effort, every effort towards ministry. Every resolve for good, the good work of ministry. And so our second circle here is praying for ministry. Praying for the ministry that we do together as a church. Praying for Sunday morning. Praying for our kids. Praying for our students. Praying for spiritual growth to happen inside of us. Praying that when a sermon goes out, it doesn't just hit and bounce off, but it sinks in deep. So how are we going to do that? Flip over. Before every service, every Sunday. Join us at the theater each Sunday from 9 to 9.20 a.m. as we pray together for every aspect of Sunday morning. We ask God that every moment of our Sunday morning experience would be effective and life-changing for the people who attend. I don't ever want to waste a Sunday morning because you never know if that's the only Sunday morning that person's going to show up. Every Sunday morning, there's an opportunity that there's at least one person that went in today who is desperate. And if we haven't prayed down even the little walls that are existing in the theater that morning, then we don't know if the ministry is going to get to them. And so every Sunday, when we wake up and when we come in here, it's like opening day. If we do this for 33 years together, I hope that every Sunday is like opening day and we're coming in and we're praying it up because we don't know who God's praying that morning and we want to be ready for him. We want them to know that there's a God who loves them, who wants them to experience redemption and walk in freedom. And so we better have prayed the walls down first so that by the time they show up, the ministry can happen. So every Sunday morning, nine o'clock, one of our elders, Frank, will be in one of the other theaters, and he's going to lead us to a time of prayer. Those of us who already get here early for setup, it's something that we're going to have to kind of shift through to realize that that is happening, 
And so if you see people walking around, if you see people um, walking down hallways and that kind of thing, they're, they're, they're praying. And then we cover every ounce of this in prayer, every seat and every person. Because we never know what God wants to do that day. The next thing in the line. Every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power. A work of faith is something that doesn't exist yet, that we're praying that it would come into existence. That's what a work of faith is. Or as we're going to call it, a work of advancement. The third level of prayer. We pray for others, we pray for ministry, we pray for advancement. We put a few things down. For salvations, for the person that you've been praying for. For church growth, that new people would be added to the family as God would call them. For the future of our church as we make decisions and decide what's going to be next. And for our city, that it would reflect the kingdom of God better. That uh, God would plant the right churches um, in the right places. That God would use other churches in the right ways. That God would launch new ministries. That our city would reflect God's kingdom. So we'll pray for that. How are we going to do that? Well, every other Wednesday, starting September 11th, at 7 o'clock, in our offices, Frank, uh, same Frank, will be there um, leading us through advancement prayer. We're going to get together and we're going to pray together uh, for works of faith. We're going to pray things uh, into existence that don't yet exist. Whereas Jesus says in Matthew 16, loose the things on, uh, in heaven that need to be loose so they can come down to earth or bind the things that have already been bound in heaven. Bind them on earth. See, in Matthew 16, when Jesus lays out the church, we'll get into this next week. He looks at the church and he says, heaven's already decided some things. When will earth? when he says heaven's already decided some things, when will earth? He's saying, when will you pray them into existence? In other words, when will you pray the wall down so that you can take the city? Maybe this military talk is too abstract for you. So maybe the wall that needs to come down is the seven years of silence that's existed between you. Maybe the wall that needs to come down is just the cold shoulder that you keep giving your spouse. Maybe the wall that needs to come down is all of the effort that you've put in, but you've seen no progress. Maybe the wall that needs to come down is the hard-headed atheism that the person just can't seem to get past. And maybe the victory is the reunited relationship, is the rekindled marriage, is the redeemed person. See, when you begin to put it in those pictures and you begin to see that the work that happens before that work is spiritual, then I hope what drives up inside of you is, then let's go. Then let's do this work. Because I want to see those things. Don't you? I hope you do. The spiritual work has to happen first. So we hop over then to Colossians chapter 9. And this gives us just a picture. And by Colossians chapter 9, which doesn't exist, I mean Colossians chapter 1. Oh, we just take in these words. Because this kind of prayer, and I know I make fun of us praying for people's cats a lot. I don't think it's bad to pray for people's cats. I have a cat. You can pray for Denzel. I don't think it's bad to pray for people's cats or their third removed cousin. Oh, but don't you see these words? 
of, of how we could be praying for each other? Would you listen? And so from the day we heard, we have not, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Sure, I'll pray for you on what college you're supposed to attend or uh, whether or not you should take this job or, or that. Uh, that's important. But wouldn't it be more better to pray, more better, to pray that you would be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding? So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. That I'm not just praying that you have a good day. I'm praying that you become like Jesus. Which might mean you need to repent from some sin or do some hard work. May you be strengthened with all power. Not just, God, help us get through the day. No, may you have the fullness of the Holy Spirit inside of you so that when you walk into the room, people know that Jesus just showed up. Amen. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. That prayer is, God, help them uh, get through this season. It's not just help them get through this season. It's, God, give them the endurance to not give up. Give them the patience to not turn to sin. And give them the joy that says, no matter what the world throws at me, I'm celebrating Jesus and I count it all joy. And for that, for you. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints and lights. That line is only in there to remind you that every prayer that Paul is praying is for every saint and every believer. Not just the elite, not just the perfect ones, not just the ones who have been doing it forever. Christ qualified you, not your own actions. So if you came a Christian yesterday or this morning, this prayer is still for you. Because Jesus qualifies us who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints and lights. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness. He has transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. I think he's just ending it with, Woo! Shout and bring down the wall! Jesus has saved us. He's redeemed us. And here's what's available to us now because he has. And you want the fullness of it? Then we got to pray. Thanks for watching this video. If you want to learn more about our church, go ahead and click the link in the description or head on over to experienceredemption.com. Have a great week, guys.